0: This is chapter Side and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark behold a smoking fire and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates the land of the Kenites the Kenizzites the king Hadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. The New Testament reading is from Romans chapter five, verses one through five. Paul speaking to the Romans says this in Romans 5 verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's a great privilege to be with you here this morning. Recently, I've been going through the confessions of Augustine uh, again, and I am just thinking about how he looks at life his various experiences that he looks at that through the perspective of God the triune God and how God has been working throughout all his life and I think of that in terms of my experience as pastor or uh, elder David has mentioned in terms of the OPC and the, and I think of ministers that have uh, affected me when I was a young man and they, they they remarkably end up either OPC or PCA so that's uh Something for me to to think about and and consider and thankful for for that. And as uh, David mentioned, I uh, one of the ways that that uh, an OPC minister affected my life in a deep way was he came up to me one time after Sunday, and this happened to be in Grace OPC that in uh, Hanover Park, Illinois. He said, uh, "Why don't you ask Nora out to the the boat 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 uh, outing that we're going to have next Saturday?" And so that I mean we had. Known each other a little bit, but that was the was the turning point, and that was in the fall of 1985. And there was, if you know anything about the Chicago area in 1985, uh, there was a, a, a great football team at that time called the Chicago Bears, which haven't been good since. But that was a year that that I remember. And she always accuses me of remembering great events in my life through sports, and I'm guilty. <laughs> But obviously, that fall was not primarily about the, the Chicago, Chicago Bears. It was getting to know uh, Nora. So I'm so thankful for uh, godly ministers that have benefited my life and have. So I'm thankful to be here this morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Jeremy Father, we do thank you that you are a faithful God, that you are faithful to Abraham and you're faithful to us today. And Lord, we thank you that you are the great am, the great I am. And because of that, no matter what's our situation, no matter what time of life we are in, no matter what experiences we have or will experience, you are with us. And that we can have this confidence because of Christ that you love us, that you protect us, and that we are your adopted sons and daughters through Christ. And so Lord, we thank you for that confidence because of your son. Lord, I pray that we would speak and that we would hear God's word as it truly is your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So whenever you consider a passage from Paul, I like to think of it that there are three drumbeats to almost anything that Paul says. Now, of course, Paul's theology is a symphony. It has various movements. There are various parts of it. But there are three drumbeats that are very consistent in Paul's writing. And that first drumbeat is what we are in Christ. Who we are as God's people. That we are justified, that we're redeemed, that we're reconciled to God. And that certainly looks back to what Christ has done for us. But there's also a second drumbeat. And that's our future hope that we have in Christ. That when he comes back, there will be a new creation. That our bodies will be raised and that we'll be part of the new heavens and new earth. So there's that one drumbeat related to what we have in Christ, related to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and that second drumbeat about what we look forward to when we will be part of that new heavens and new earth. And there's this third drumbeat. How do we live in between? And I think this is something that uh, John Calvin was very great in helping us understand as you look through the institutes or if you consider what Gerhardus Voss says in his Pauline eschatology that yes, we are in Christ and have great blessings. And yes, we look forward to what God is for us in Christ, but we still live here, don't we? So the question I'd like us to consider is how can we be sure that God will keep us in faith? A few years ago... We took a cross-country trip with my sister and Nora and I to Nate and Gina's wedding in Pennsylvania, which can hard to believe that it was actually now close to uh, four years ago. But my sister and I were reminiscing about our dad, how he would drive the interstate highways. That often as a habit of a drive, as he was driving, he would if he was on a two-lane highway, he would definitely take risks that would scare the, the, the life out of us who were passengers in that car. And then if he was running out of gas, driving on an interstate, he would let it go almost toward empty or past empty. And even then, if he got off the gas and he found out the gas was too high in price, he would go back on the interstate. And we were like, Dad, would you please get some gas? Well, we never did run out of gas. And I guess my father knew what he was doing, but not without creating great concern, even consternation. We wondered if we would make it to our destinies. And one of the most important questions we can ask about our spiritual lives is whether we will make it safe in our eternal destiny with God. Now this might be a surprising question to some because of how the idea of eternal security is often understood in Christian evangelical culture. Some would say that if you've raised your hand or if you've gone down the aisle to kneel that you can be sure that no matter what you say or what you do the rest of your life, you can be sure of heaven. but we know that in the Westminster Confession of Faith that the point of God preserving us and the assurance that we can have in Christ, let me not diminish that, is that we would also persevere in our faith. God preserves us in faith, but he preserves us in faith by giving us the grace to persevere. A life of faith, not without doubts, backsliding or discouragements, but a life of faith that in the end holds on to Christ. The Westminster Confession of Faith says it this way Those God has accepted in His beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. In fact, the life of faith, as was just quoted, has a life of difficulties and challenges to such an extent that we need God's promises. We need to be rooted in God's revelation, tied to the fact that he's a covenant God who's revealed himself in history, centered on Christ's saving actions. And the Holy Spirit uses this perspective of God and his covenant grace and his mercy to us in Christ to give us that perspective on life to keep us longing for and reaching toward our glorious destiny of being with and like Christ. And so the good news for us who are in Christ is that we will arrive safely home, we will arrive at our destiny, and we will persevere in our life of faith as we tether our hearts and minds to the precious truths that we will be considering this morning. So the main point of this message is that God preserves our faith through his unfailing grace. And the first thing I'd like us to consider this morning, that it's unfailing grace founded on the justifying work of Christ. Unfailing grace founded on the justifying work of Christ. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The chapter, start, chapter 5 starts with, therefore, and so connects to chapter 4, where Paul associates our justification by faith with Abraham's justification by faith. And Paul is saying, since we have been justified by faith, he's referring again to what Christ has done for us and this declaration of righteousness through faith. And Paul goes on to say, then, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This referring not so much to our feeling of peace, but the objective relationship of what Christ has done for us. Paul later describes it as a reconciliation, this peace with God, and connects it with justification later in this passage in verses 9 and 10, where Paul says, Since therefore now we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we are enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we, be, we shall be saved. Shall we be saved by his life? And the answer is yes. God's justifying believers is an image taken from the law court where judgment is made according to legal justice and reconciliation is a relational term. And both of those are our blessings through Christ, that Christ has justified us because of his work. And so how do those blessings of justification and reconciliation relate to Christ? Paul says it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not miss it because it seems like it's just a a prepositional phrase, but really that is what our blessing is, is in Christ, that we are justified in Him and that we are reconciled through Him. God only justifies us through what Christ has done, that He is the one who makes us acceptable to God. God's actions through christ meet all the claims of justice and bring about peace with god paul refers to christ's death and resurrection in chapter 4 verse 25 as he concludes chapter 4 that christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification and then paul concludes toward the end of verse 10 of this passage if while we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled we shall be saved by his life And that is why Christ is so precious to us. Because all is through Christ. Let's be reminded what justification is. It is God's declaration of righteousness because Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. The worth of Christ's obedience and atoning work are so intrinsically valuable to God that they outweigh any wrong that we have done. And his righteousness is so highly valuable That any virtue or good work that we could, more valuable than any virtue or good work that we could accomplish. God credits to our account or imputes the righteousness of Christ to us and declares us righteous. And this verdict of justification is related to the future judgment. In fact, it's God's future judgment coming into our present existence. It is God's declaration that we have already met the claims of justice through Christ. We don't have to wait for the future judgment to know that we've been accepted into God's eternal favor. So every time we hear about the doctrine of justification, we are entering into a courtroom. And that should cause us to fear. That should cause us to tremble. That should cause us to realize that we are in the presence of the holy. And yet, when we hear God's verdict of not guilty and credited with the righteousness of Christ, our joy overflows because now, We are reconciled with God. God's own righteous claims have been satisfied through our Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder Paul says in verse 11, Now more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now notice how Paul connects our justification by faith with Abraham's justification by faith. God roots our justification in the covenant of grace historically revealed in the life of Abraham. In Paul's thinking, whoever has rightly understood Abraham has rightly understood God's plan and intention for humanity. That is why there is no Christian faith without Old Testament scripture. If the Jewish understanding of Abraham is correct that Abraham is only a progenitor of a race and that he was a pre-Mosaic law keeper, then Judaism is the true faith. And a Gentile must become a law-keeping Jew to be in the covenant. But Paul proves that something greater is happening in Abraham. God's promise to Abraham was that all the nations would be blessed through Abraham's seed. And Paul proves that Abraham was justified by faith, Genesis 15, before he instituted circumcision for Abraham in Genesis 17. But more profoundly still, Paul is not using Abraham for illustrative purposes. Paul sees his ministry as the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Because Christ has fulfilled the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. And that is that in Christ all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Abraham's seed was appointed to be a blessing to all nations. And Christ has come to reconcile people from all ethnic groups to form his church. And Paul was appointed to be apostle to the Gentiles to minister to these groups. That is why Abraham's justification and our justification are tied together. The faith that receives this justification is like Abraham's faith. Faith only relies on the promise of God and God's power to perform it. Paul said earlier in chapter 4, verse 22, that is why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. But if the words words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Christ from the dead who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God's plan through justification, through justifying Abraham and justifying us is to undo the effects of sin and to bring about a new creation. The faith that Abraham was holding on to the hope that God would reverse the effects of sin Genesis 3 through 11 reveals the effect of Adam's sin through the flood of Noah to the tower of Babel it was God's effectual call that brought Abraham later Abraham from Ur of Chaldees to the land of Canaan God's purpose in this call was that through Abraham's seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed and Abraham by believing this promise was justified and by believing what Abraham could not fulfill for himself Yet it was through a great trial that this promise would be fulfilled because Sarah, beyond childbearing age, would have this seed, their son Isaac. Then later, as that promised seed grows up, God tests Abraham by commanding him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, with God Himself intervening and providing the sacrificial ram. All of this to reveal that through Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. What Abraham was promised and believed in, Abraham was unable to perform. But now, through the person of Christ, this has been fulfilled. This Abraham believed, and we do as well. Abraham's faith was looking for a better world, and so do we as well. Only God could bring about a new creation. Only God can bring blessing to the nations. Only God would send his son, could send his son into the world as the promised seed. And only God could justify fallen, sinful human beings apart from anything they could do, and only through God's action in his eternal Son. That is why our understanding of the relationship of faith to justification is rooted in God's covenant history. That as God made a covenant with Abraham, God has made a covenant with us in Christ. A covenant that was made by the same grace, purpose, power, hope, and the same object of faith, Jesus Christ. And so we see how important the ministry of the gospel is because through the gospel, we are justified. Through belief in that gospel, we are justified. But through faith in that gospel, God has also given us a mission to be a blessing to the nations because the only source of blessing to the nations and to the peoples and to the neighbors around us is the fact that God has justified us by faith. And so the greatest blessing that we can give to any person is to tell them about how to be made right with God through Jesus Christ. Some questions for us to consider on this point is, have you been justified by Christ? Do you trust only God's mercy through what Christ has done? Are you reconciled with God? Do you believe that God's wrath and love have been reconciled? Do you have peace with God? Do you believe what, believe what Christ has done for you, you could not do for yourself? Do you trust God's covenant mercy that was revealed in Abraham's life and now revealed to you in Christ? Are we participating in God's plan to bring blessing to all nations through the gospel? Psalm 85.10 says this, that steadfast love and faithfulness meet righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And so we see here that God preserves us through his unfailing grace, the grace of the fact that we are justified. That brings us to the second point, that unfailing grace is propelling us to future glory. That is the second beat, the first beat, that we are justified, the second beat, that we have this hope. Paul again emphasizes, through Christ, notice, he says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and through him we have also obtained access by faith. The same need that we have to be right with God through Christ is the same need to enjoy the benefits that Christ has purchased. The same Christ who purchased us leads us to enjoy God forever. All our interactions with God in grace from now to eternity is only through Christ. John Murray in his commentary on this says, Our dependence upon the mediation of Christ is never suspended. That means it's never stopped. And he goes on to say all our blessings, spiritual blessings, are in Christ, and that we never go beyond Christ's mediatorial ministry for us. So Paul says we have obtained access by faith, as the ESV says, or the NASB 95 says we have obtained our introduction by faith. The term access refers to our ability to approach God in prayer. It's a a temple type of imagery where there was the Holy of Holies which only the priest could go in once a year but we can enter to the Holy Holies anytime because of Christ through prayer. We can enter into God's presence because of Christ the, the set term introduction by faith refers to the action of God in Christ calling us to faith just as God intervened in history in the incarnation of Christ God has intervened in our history to enable us to realize our need of and embrace Christ in faith. As we regularly say, our introduction of first, is from first to last all of grace. And so Paul talks about the grace in which we stand. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Paul is saying that grace is so sure and powerful and effectual That grace will help us deal with our doubts, discouragement, despondency, and depression. It's not that we don't have these feelings. In fact, we have them daily. We deal with them daily. But unfailing grace is our refuge to give us confidence. That is why we must regularly resort to these precious truths. Both the access that we have to God and our standing in the Greek have a perfect tense meaning. Meaning they are permanent blessings in Christ. John Calvin comments on this passage. He says, by the word stand, he means that faith is not a changeable persuasion, not only for one day, but that it's immutable, and that it sinks deep into the heart, so that it endures throughout life. It is not then he who by sudden impulse is led to believe that has faith and to be reckoned among the faithful, faithful, but he who constantly, so to speak, with a firm and fixed foot abides in that station appointed to him by God so as to cleave always to Christ. And so because we stand in grace, because we can be sure of God's our standing with God and that we stand in this grace, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Justification is not just a past a, a past accomplishment for us at a present blessing in which we live. But justification has a primary view to the future time when God's glory will be manifest in the universe. This view of the future causes us to boast now. We are the people of future glory. Paul is saying that all that God does in time and history is to the manifestation of God's glory in all that he created. The covenant of grace to Abraham, Christ justifying it, work, our calling and entrance into grace, our fellowship with God, now is a view of to when Christ comes back, when our bodies will be raised, when we will be like Christ, and all evil will be eradicated except those in the lake of fire, and all of creation will be transformed to a beauty beyond even this original creation. As we know, God created all things for his glory, to display his majestic character and his glorious relationships with the Trinity. God also made us in his image, Uh, As Augustine says, we are the closest thing on this earth in terms of our image with God to reflect his glory. Of all the wonderful things that we see and and observe in this world, the most precious is the fact that we are made in God's image since there is that we reflect his glory. And since the fall, God is working in sovereign grace toward that glorious day when his glory is revealed in creation and us. And now that we've been introduced into this grace and stand in this grace, we will also joyfully long aspire and determine to live for that day that will be God's glory conservation day. Gerhardus Voss, a Princeton Seminary theologian of the early 20th century, states that all the blessings we receive in Christ are in reality future glory coming into our present existence. For example, I mentioned that our justification is a verdict of righteousness coming into the present. So other blessings like redemption, adoption, indwelling spirit, our future glory blessings entering into our present existence. The way I like to describe it, it's like a huge tidal wave of the ocean of eternity crashing on the, crashing on the beach of our present existence. When the, with, and then the undertow pulling us and propelling us, and even us at times dragging to eternal glory. But this tidal wave is the power of grace and love, kindness, beauty, and blessing in Christ propelling us to future glory. We will arrive safely because of God's powerful grace. That's why we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. As Abraham looked forward to a future day of blessing to the nations, so will we look forward to the new heavens and new earth. For, as Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 4, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So we also look forward to a day when righteousness dwells. Our hope is a confident expectation of what God has promised to do because of how God has already fulfilled his promises. The more that we see that God has already fulfilled his promises will create us a greater anticipation of, God, of what God has promised that he will do. That is why we boast in God. That's why we... Praise God as the day approaches when Christ will come back in glory, when our bodies will be raised in resurrection and immortality, when our character will be conformed to the image of Christ, and when the body of Christ, when the body of Christ his church, will be a spotless bride. And we look forward to that day. Here are some questions for this point. Have you been introduced to grace? Do you realize your access to God? Do you stand in grace rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God? Has the blessing of future glory overshadowed and flooded your life? Do you look forward to no more pain or sorrow? Do you look forward to your own resurrection and being like Christ without sin? Do you rejoice for that day? Do you realize that the wealth of grace is leading us to a greater wealth of grace and eternal glory? So that brings us to our final point is that God preserves us through unfailing grace. He preserves us in unfailing grace founded on the justifying work of Christ. He's propelling us to future glory, and he's sustaining us through present suffering because we live in between those two great, wonderful events, the death and resurrection of Christ and his coming. So how do we live in this world? Paul says it this way in verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now we need to stop Take a moment did he say what did he really say that did he really say that not only that but we rejoice in our sufferings did he really say that we may ask how is this consistent with the fact that God has justified it that he has brought us into such a wonderful relationship to him how is it that we can even say talk about suffering can't we just hear the band and dance no Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings. We may ask, how is this consistent with our standing as justified people to experience so much hardship? Isn't that the whole point of getting right with God, that uh, you can be protected from bad events from happening? Is it not our connection with God, a backup plan to keep bad things from happening? But in reality, that type of thinking, describing that we have God as our backup plan to prevent evil and bad things to happening to us, is really the nature of pagan religion. From the Canaanite fertility religions, to the Iliad of Homer, to the prosperity of God, prosperity gospel, the nature of religion is to bargain, human religion, is to bargain with God, to avoid difficulty. What Paul does is turn this whole type of thinking around. Suffering is not a sign of God's displeasure, because God is causing us to hold to his favor in Christ, and creating us a longing for the glory of God to be revealed in human history and, and in our lives. Because suffering does for us what nothing else can do. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Suffering tests what we believe. Suffering does make us doubt God's love and protection. It does, but as we press deeper into the truth that God has justified us, that we have a standing in grace and we rejoice in the hope of glory of God that God has promised, our faith grows stronger. Suffering forces us to depend less and less in ourselves and more and more into the God of grace. God is interested in a faith that endures. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And I personally believe that we need to emphasize the importance for us to need to persevere in our faith, especially as we go through suffering and difficulty. So often we ask the question, have we believed? And that's an important question. There should be, t- well, not there should be. There are, it's a blessing when we know when we trusted Christ. For many of us, we may not know when we first trusted the Christ, but it is a blessing to know that we, there was a time in our life when we came to know Christ. And it's certainly a blessing to say we believe today that that's why we are here as God's people, that we say we do believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in his Son, Jesus Christ. It's important that we know that we have believed, we know that, and it's important to us to know that we believe today, but the question is, will we believe in the future? Will we believe 10, 15, 5 years from now? And, And because... As as, uh, Calvin said, faith is not just like this temporary reaction to something that's moving us at the moment, but it's something that is deep in our soul where we say, it is God who's justified us. It is God who's made us right. It's God's promises that matter. And as as we come to that issue that we are dealing in in, uh, the Christian world about deconversion, in a way it's not surprising it's not surprising. I'm not making up any apocalyptic statement. I'm just saying the darkness seems to be getting darker in some ways. Maybe I'm just getting old, but it just seems that way. And then we have a Christian faith that says it that really just that what matters is you've had this one time experience. And then we have a, well, I could go on, but talking about like big name Christianity where you associate yourself with a movement and a name. I probably went going a little bit too far there. But if you associate yourself with a cultural type of Christianity where something's happening, even if it's, we say it's not off the charts, but just whenever we associate ourselves with a cultural movement but don't have a deep faith in Jesus Christ, that's what you're going to have. You're going to have people who are saying, I once was a Christian. But we, may, we need to decide now and this morning that will we be a Christian 15 or 20 years now, depending on his grace, making that resolution. Not that we say we can do it, not like Peter who said, oh, I'm never going to deny you. No, that's not what we do. But we say this morning that we trust God's mercy and that by God's grace, I will never outlive my love to Christ. As Bernardo Carvo says in that beautiful, may I never live beyond that love to Christ because I don't want to live on this life. In this earth without love for you, Lord Jesus Christ, for what you've done for me. And so we need to start talking about what is our faith for the future when things happen, even in the Church of Christ that disappoint us, or when something happens to our lives, what will will we still say, though he slay me and I know, please forgive me if I say this callously or even Flippantly, because I should say that to myself. Even though he slay me, will I trust him? I don't stand here saying that lightly. Will, though he slay me, will I still trust him? And so endurance produces character as we determine to persevere in our faith. And so character produces hope. When we find less allurement in the world and hold on to God's promises and bring us to the hope of the glory of god that our hope in god increases paul uses hope in two different ways an objective hope that's found only in jesus christ in his person in his event but that hope is a confident in our hearts a confident expectation as we travel through life this is the second type of hope paul's addressing is we become a confident awareness of what god has prepared us in the new creation It's interesting to note that the credit for progress and sanctification in these verses goes to suffering, to difficulty, to hardship. John Newton says it this in one of his hymns. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray, and he I trust has answered prayer, but has almost in a way as has almost drove me to despair I hope that in some favored hour at once he answered my request and by his love constraining powers subdue my sins and give me rest instead of this he has made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part yea more with his hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe crossed all fair designs I schemed, cast out my feelings, and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembly cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee, to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mightst seek thy all in me, that thou might seek Thy all in me. And so Paul says that hope does not put us to shame. That hope, that confidence that God, what God will do through the sufferings and trials. We will not be disappointed with God at the end of history. We will see that all that God has planned for us was good. That, his perfect, that the, it was his perfect design. And we will be satisfied with all that God is and all that he has decreed. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God preserves and we will persevere because of God's love that is personally ours to the depths of our being constantly and regularly. We live in the same situation as Abraham, forced by circumstances to depend on God, relying on his promise with long waiting. We are tempted by doubt and often making the wrong choice, as Abraham did. But God is faithful. What an advantage we have that Abraham didn't have. He could only see from afar the Savior that would come. But we know God's love for us and that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. Can we rejoice in what God is doing in our circumstances? When we go through the disappointing and cruel trials, are we able to hold on to the fact that God has justified us, reconciled us, and given us access and a standing grace Are we able to allow our hope to grow knowing that in the end God will not disappoint us and we will not be disappointed with God? Are we receiving God's love poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit? And what's interesting about this passage is that if we want the outpouring of love that the Holy Spirit gives, it's only intensified in the times of hardship. God promises to preserve our faith through His unfailing grace, we've seen that it's through the justifying work of Christ. It's through propelling us to future glory, and it's grace sustaining us through suffering. Christ is the basis and foundation of our access to God. It is this grace in which we stand It gives us confidence to preserve in our faith, persevere in our faith. That is why we confidently hope, confidently hope, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God this purpose, goal, and end result of salvation history and why God has justified us. Because God will be glorified in his creation. God's glory will be revealed in our resurrection body. God's glory will be revealed in our character being conformed to the image of Christ. God's glory will be revealed when harm and evil that humans practice against one another will be eradicated. Satan will no longer deceive and Christ himself will come in glory and we will be one family, one community in Christ. Do you long for that day? Do you rejoice because God has justified you and given you the grace to stand and that you will see that day and see Christ as He is? Despite the sorrow and suffering and disappointment we experience, we can rejoice in what God is doing. He is making us dependent on His grace through our trials, He's preparing us for that glorious day. And through those trials, He's making us look forward more to what he will do when there will be no more tears no more sorrows this is the only time of our eternal existence this fallen world this environment to trust and to trust God and his grace in a hostile environment this is the only time in eternity we will not be disappointed in the end God's love is sustaining. and Christ's death is sufficient for now and eternity God has demonstrated his love for us in Christ. That is why we rejoice in God through whom we received the reconciliation. There will never be lacking of an opportunity now and eternity to boast and rejoice and treasure our God who has reconciled us through Jesus Christ. Let's look into the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we are struck again and at the seriousness of your word that addresses our lives and our situations. And it's so easy for us to hear, and to speak words that sound good, but we know that suffering is real. We know that doubt is real. We know that hurt is real. And you know that too. You know that too because you suffered for us. And you know that too because you've given us wonderful promises you've given us your character revealed in a covenant of grace to us that you know that we need hope in this world you know that we need to have joy in this world even in the midst of our suffering to know that we are right with God that we have access to you that we stand in grace and so you have given us your Holy Spirit to help us and sustain us through our lives to be faithful to you because you are more than faithful to us despite the choices that we have made. And so, Lord, we again want to say we do not want to outlive our love for you, not because we are good, but because you are good. We do not want to be deceived about ourselves. We want to have clear-minded thinking about who you are, and only you can do that through your word and through your truth and through your Spirit's work So, Lord, I pray that you would help us never to outlive our love to you because you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.